This abortion thing, I think, is really, it, it really is quite fascinating how much and how powerfully and how deeply women are invested in this, uh, in this issue of abortion. So I wanted to spin out a couple of theories, let you know what I think, get your thoughts on this issue. So to understand how sexual dynamics evolved, why do men have so much crazy desire? Why do we like to show off our resources so much? Why do women enjoy so much the picky-choosy of uh, men presenting themselves for acceptance by the woman and so on? So the first thing to understand, of course, is that we take a hell of a long time to grow up. We take a long time to grow up. I mean, the male brain doesn't finish developing until the mid-20s, the female brain a couple of years earlier. So we just take a long, long, long time to mature. And that means that to survive, to have the best chance of survival, you need a pair-bonded group. You need a pair-bonded, like, mother-father monogamous relationship. I mean, in a sort of Western context, I mean, there's different cultures out there, probably not quite as relevant to uh, the uh, pygmies uh, uh, and so on of... um, Amazon, Africa, something like that. So, but I'm just sort of talking about a relatively advanced culture. You need this sort of pair bonding, right? So how does the pair bonding go about? Well, in general, you choose your partner, right? Now, for women, because male sex drive is generally a little higher than than female sex drive, so women carry a monopoly on access to sexuality, of course, right? And men are out there competing with each other for resources to show fitness of reproductive resource provision, right, to to the women, right? Like, I can go out and, look, I, I can bring home a deer every day, and you're never going to be short of stuff to eat, honey, so let's get married and make some babies, right? And so women would say no sexuality until commitment, right? Uh, don't give me, don't hand me low lines and keep, don't hand me low, no lines and keep your hands to yourself, until I get a wedding ring, right? And so men look for signs of reproductive fitness, right? Clear eyes, clear skin, lustrous hair, good hip-to-waist ratio, and so on, even features which show good genetics and so on. And women look for signs of reliability, dependability, capacity for monogamy, and most importantly, it is resource acquisition, like the capacity to go out and compete with other men, to compete with nature or against other men, to go and get the resources she needs because she's going to be disabled for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years by having babies, right? So this is why for a man in the past, an attract, like a woman would generally, the more naked she was, the better, right? Whereas for a woman, the more well-dressed a man was, the better, because... If a woman is naked, he can actually check to make sure that she's not using a girdle to squish in her innards, that she actually is that attractive and so on, right? And so for a man a man in a tux or a man in an expensive suit is very attractive to a woman because it shows that he's out there competing successfully, getting resources enough to afford the suit or the car or whatever it is, right? That is expensive, right? So women are in a position of choice. And we know this because significant proportions of men throughout human evolution did not reproduce, did not reproduce. And so women, when they're young, it's sort of late teens, right? They're in a position of choosing from the men. Now, 
men have a risk. Now, the male risk is that the woman is infertile, right? That's sort of one male risk. The other male risk is that she could sleep around. Another male risk, of course, is that she, you know, pulls the pin on the fat grenade after they get together. So after they have a God and society reinforced monogamy, she just decides to eat, uh, sit on her butt, eat bonbons, not take care of the kids, and balloon. And I had a friend when I was younger, man. His wife, when he married her, she was like a buck ten. She was 110, 115 pounds, slender as a willow. And last I saw, she was kind of well north of 300 pounds. And uh, oof, it's pretty rough, man. When If a woman pulls the pin on the fat grenade, and, right? I mean, it's pretty rough because, you know, you're, you're in for the long haul at that particular situation. And uh, so men take a certain number of risks when they get married. And women, of course, take a certain number of risks that he's going to sleep around, that or that his his early promise is not manifested in later success. Oh, that is a big, big, big one. His early promise is not manifested in later success. It turns out he's lazy. It turns out he gets addicted to drugs or to drink or whatever it is. Like I remember uh, one of a uh, one of the most dissatisfied wives I ever knew was she married a guy who was a professional, he was a great musician, he wrote songs, he performed, and she was. She told me once, she's like, man, I, I thought this guy was going to be like on the cover of magazines, like he was, but he just, for reasons we don't have to get it, he just didn't manifest that, he didn't manifest his potential, and uh, they ended up living in the basement of a house where they rented out the top two floors, and it was kind of dank, and, and she was just ah, you know, I thought this guy was going to be a big mover and shaker. I thought he was going to stride across the world like some scissor-legged colossus or, I don't know, some marching hammers from the wall. But he didn't manifest. He just, and, and she got really frustrated because it's really, it's agony for a woman in particular if she feels like she's settled, right? Oof, that is really, really nasty. If the woman feels like she's settled, uh, that's really, really, um, there's an old Seinfeld about that, about, uh, some woman who's a doctor, I think she's married to a salesman or something, and George Costanza says, oh, guess you settled or whatever, right? And this, this tortures her so much, she ends up divorcing the guy, and yeah, I was just being folksy. No, no, that's, that's straight-up torture. For a man, of course, if he ends up with a lazy wife or a fat wife or a wife who sleeps around and so on, you know, it's always um, mama's baby, daddy's maybe. <laughs> and that's always the case, right? Strindberg wrote a whole play about this that we studied in theater school. Oh, no, that was before theater school. I know it doesn't matter. So, so there's a lot of risks that you have to take. So for a woman, and men, of course, you know, you, you know what it's like. Yeah, get out there in the dating market in your teens, right? And what do you do? Well, I don't, I don't know what you did. What I did was I just aimed as high as humanly possible, like to the total queen bee alpha female apex predator of young men's hearts. And I asked her out. Because her locker was next to mine. <laughs> Similar last names. Anyway, so, and, and then I thought, okay, well, flame out at that level. I'll go down a bit. Okay. Second tier. Oh, I got a date on the second tier. Okay. Well, didn't really last. She's kind of restless. You know, when you have that date and cocktail eyes, as uh, some people say, and just someone staring around the room or whatever. Anyway, so then you, you just, you find where, you find your, your sedimentary layer, right? You've, and you don't want to go too low. Like, you, you know, it's like that when you go across to the other side of the uh, dance back in the day, 
And you're like, I got to walk up and down the row of girls. I got to find a girl who's attractive enough that my friends won't make fun of me, but not so attractive she'll never dance with me or whatever. So you got to just find your place in the pecking order. And if you aim too high, you're doomed because you may get a date or two, but it's not going to last. If you aim too low, you're humiliated in, in that you may end up having babies, but they're going to be, you know, if the woman's less intelligent or less attractive or whatever it is, then it's kind of a downgrade or a downstep. So you're trying to find that genetic, in a sense, match where it's a similar level of intelligence, similar level of attractiveness. And if you ever notice this, if you ever want to see how attractive you are, just look at your partner. It's really not that complicated because you very rarely see people of vastly different levels of attractiveness together. Everyone like the sevens with the sevens, the eights with the eights, the nines, everybody does this sorting thing where you end up with a partner that just, you know, kind of matches, kind of matches. Now, things can change, of course. Things can change. You know, some guy can get super rich. Uh, A woman can lose weight, become super hot, something like that, right? So women, men propose, women dispose. Men ask, and still, I think even now, 80% of dates, such as they are these days, uh, are initiated by boys, by males asking out the girls, the females, and so on, right? So the woman gains a thrill, like literally gains a dopamine thrill when a man finds her attractive if he is a man of relatively equal or higher status, even better, right? And, and this nature has designed women to be this way because women get the highest on the pecking order the more men they can attract, obviously, right? The more men you can, it's like if you're selling a house, the more buyers who are buying on it, the higher you can get a price. If you are getting a job, you, you can get a higher salary. If five people want you to work for them or 10 people want you to work for them. So the more men a woman, a woman can attract in the dating phase, the higher up the pecking order she can go in order to get a man to commit, right? This is back in the day, right? So we, we're sort of talking about the roots of, of how all this stuff works, right? More options is higher outcomes for the most part. So a woman, of course, would be programmed to gain a positive emotional response to male attraction. And I think you actually get a dopamine hit. Like, oh, he, he likes me. Oh, he sent a message. Yeah, right. So you get this, this hit, this, this, this drug. It's very, very addictive. It's very addictive. And that is the incentive for women to make themselves as attractive as possible, right? Because there are incomprehensible things that occur in the female realm. M- most of it, <laughs> in my opinion. What was it? Sarah Suckerbee, so Sarah Huckerbee Sanders or something like that was getting into a fight with some other women about whether the pie she posted as a picture was homemade from scratch or store-bought. Like, it's just like this was like a big thing, which was, I'm sure, entirely comprehensible to women and not really so to, to, to us men, <laughs> to, us, to us dudes, right? So... Why do women spend so much money on makeup, on shoes, on hairdos, on whatever, right? Because it's, it's you know, let's say a woman spends $5,000 a month, but she's able to get a man who makes $10,000 a month, sorry, $5,000 a year, $5,000 a month be uh, quite a bit, although not for the Kardashians, of course. But let's say she spends $5,000 a year on personal grooming products and making herself look more attractive. Well, but if she gets from that, a man who makes $10,000 more a year, then she's up $5,000. 
right? I've said this before on the show. Like I went to a uh, store, makeup store, and right up there it said tools of the trade, right? Tools of the trade, and that's the trade. Make yourself more attractive. You can get a man who makes more money. So for makeup and, and, and hair and shoes and all this kind of crazy crap that women do, where they, you know, they wobble around like uh, you know, those tottering gumbies outside of car dealerships flapping their dancy wings into the sky, they, it's just an investment. It's, it's a perfectly sensible investment, right? Like for a man, why, why does he buy a cool car? Why does whatever is, is hip these days? Well, because that allows him to get a more attractive a female, which means that his offspring are going to be genetically healthier, maybe smarter, uh, more attractive, which in turn gives more re- get, allows them to get more resources. So all of this stuff makes, makes perfect sense. But the point I want you to focus on here is the woman is addicted to male attention when she's young. Now, of course, addictions... Nothing wrong with them. I mean, I'm fairly addicted to oxygen. <laughs> All that makes perfect sense to me. But what limits these kinds of addictions? So women would love to spend a couple decades, in, in a lot of women would love to spend a couple of decades just surfing on the positive regard of the male hormonal lust for them, right? You get taken to dinners, you get free vacations, you get gifts, you get the sugar daddy thing, right? Where the man is giving the woman resources, but not in return for children and parenting, right? So women want to continue to receive male attention. Now, what limits that? Uh Well, the male attention is generally predicated on sexual access. If the woman, if, if the man knows that there's no way, shape, or form that he's ever going to have any sexual access with the woman, he will probably regretfully move on to another, uh, another possibility, right? That's probably the way that things are, are going to work, right? So the desire must to some degree be based upon the possibility of satiation. So uh, what is it? I saw a picture on the internet the other day of somebody who thought that it was a real apple, but it was one of those polystyrene with the cork center apples that you put into houses when they're being set up for sale. They're showing the houses or whatever, right? So if you had a whole buffet, your mouth starts watering if the food looks fantastic. If you go up and you realize it's all fake, well, your hunger is going to diminish somewhere. You're going to go somewhere else, right? Because you can't satisfy yourself based upon the stimuli. So the woman gets the male attention based upon the possibility of sexual access. Now, what does this mean? What, well, we all know kind of what it means, right? What limits, what limits the woman's addiction to male attention? Two things. Number one, time. She's going to run out of fertility. She's going to run out of being attractive and Again, one of the reasons I hit these topics so hard is because I'm, I'm throwing back the, the messages from the post-50 reality, right? I'm, I'm throwing back the messages from the post-50 reality because I'm seeing what's happened to some of the people I knew when I was younger, the women in particular. Oh, man, it's horrible. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. So time is going to diminish male attention for women, but... That's a long ways down the road. Like a woman who's 20 
can probably go for 25 years, getting lots and lots of male attention before she kind of tips over from being, you know, a uh, cougar in mild demand to a nurse to a guy who's 70 hanging around hoping he's going to leave her a house, as happened to one woman who called in to me not some time ago. So what is it that limits? So time, yes, but the most important thing that limits the woman's addiction to male attention is pregnancy. Ah, you see, I knew we were going to get to abortion at some point. It's pregnancy. Pregnancy is what limits the infinite capacity of women to enjoy surfing on male attention. Because if there's no possibility of sexual access, then the men are going to lose interest in her relatively quickly, even if she's very attractive, obviously, right? So there has to be some sexual access. But, 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 lots of buts here. (laughs) If sexual access is granted and the woman becomes pregnant, her life is ruined, right? So her life is ruined. So she only has the capacity to gain continual male attention if birth is not part of the equation. Ah, you see? Pregnancy, okay, maybe, right? But a woman who gives birth to a man who is not committed to her, well, her life is ruined. She can't really get a job, or she's got to move back in with her parents. Her parents are upset. She can't get a guy to date her. It's like, um, what's that movie? As Good As It Gets with Helen Hunt. Uh, She's out there on a date with some young guy, and she goes to comfort her son, and the son sort of spits up on her chest, and uh, the young man is like, oh, it's a little too much reality for me, and he hits the road. And this, of course, is considered to be feckless or bad on the part of the man. It's like, no, no, of course not. Who the hell wants to be raising another man's child? My gosh. There are some people who do it. And, you know, they like it. Maybe the man is infertile and, and, you know, good, more power to you as a whole. But, you know, I think in general, biology has kind of programmed us to prefer our own offspring to other people's offspring. You know, genetic proximity is kind of the basis. Preference for genetic proximity is kind of the basis for evolution as a whole. So, so the woman, you know, we used to call them cock teasers. I don't know if they're still called that way. Like the woman who would uh, put out a lot of sexual signals, but then would not allow for any sexual access. I, of course, never faced this issue because... Anyway, but that is kind of a sort of the blue blue balls bowling delivery lady, right? So if a woman is not sexually available, then, of course, the way that you would gain access to her sexually would be to marry her, right, to provide a commitment. And then uh, you hold off on marriage so that everybody has that lifelong commitment thing set up by the time a baby comes along. Because women can't generally raise babies without men. They can't raise it very well. And same thing, I don't think men can raise babies without women uh, very well, particularly sort of opposite sex babies and so on, right? Do I have a streaming schedule? I was actually thinking that um, I should. (laughs) I should. How's this this time for you guys? I I really should. It's been a bit catch-as-catch-can, but I really should set up something more more regular. But yeah, let me let me know if this uh, this kind of time works for you. It's Tuesday, by the way. It was 9 p.m. Eastern that I just shortly after 9 p.m. So that's what limits women hoovering up male attention. That's what limits it is pregnancy, baby, 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 baby coming out. And so men's desire and women's desire, sexuality is so strong. 
in men. I mean, strong in other animals too. You, you've probably seen videos on the internet of some woman trying to do yoga while her dog humps her leg. It's like, dude, not even, not even the same species. That's a, it's not good. I've even seen one where a dolphin tried to hump the female owner. And that's some, that's some squidgy fish fun. Yeah, I know. They're not fish. Anyway, so we have this massive desire so that it can be channeled into a lifelong commitment. And that's how we raise our babies. So for a woman, oh, can you tell us the very best app to enjoy your stream and interact via text or chat? I would say that, um, I mean, uh, DLive has an app. Huh? I'm sure you can watch it that way. So, at the moment, once you take... So, uh, two things happened, of course, right, that, that disrupted all of this. The first was the pill, right? It's just, I, I didn't... When I was a kid, I was like, what do you mean, the pill? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, I guess it was kind of like the good book, right, the Bible, right? The pill was so powerful in terms of its capacity to reshape all of human society, that it's simply called the pill, right? So there was the pill, which, of course, as you know, tricks a woman's body into believing that it's pregnant so it doesn't release an egg, and therefore the woman can't get pregnant. So there was the pill, and then there was the abortion, should the pill fail, or should the woman not be on the pill, or should the woman succumb to temptation, or whatever it is, right? So then you have, right? So when you take babies and parenting out of the question of human sexuality, out of the equation of human sexuality, things go insane really, 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 really quickly. And that's kind of where we are right now. So the way that I view this, I think I'm making a strong case, but you let me know what you think, of course, right? The way that I view this, when you look at these millions of women out there marching and screaming about, you know, my body, my choice, I mean, of course, it's insane. It's not your body, it's a baby. A kidney is your body. A kidney doesn't roam around, go to kindergarten, um, get into fights and go to college. Um, your kid is not your kidney, right? And so it's, you know, my body, my choice is kind of... But but see, they are making a sense. When they say my body, my choice, the reason there's usually two meanings for things that have real power, right? When they say my body, my choice, they say, well, if I can kill a baby in my womb, then I can continue to choose men. I can continue to to hold out sexual access to men. And so my body, my choice is, well, if I pretend that the baby is my body and I can get it removed like a skin tag, then I can continue to choose men and therefore men can continue to buy me things and bring me things and pursue me and pretend that I have value because I hold a monopoly on sexual access, right? So that's really important to understand that what's going on is that women in the West, young women in particular, and in particular liberal women, I think, are very much addicted to the dopamine of male attention and, and a very, of a variety of male attention, right? So because women are physically addicted to male attention and that male attention is predicated on easy access to abortions, because the man doesn't want to roll the dice, right? The moment that a possibility of a baby comes into the equation, then the man's standards have to go way up, way up. When I decided I really, really wanted to hit the gas on being a dad, <laughs> let me just tell you, beep, 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 
I did like a, well, I couldn't do a 360. I ended up back where I started, but I did a 180 in terms of what I was looking for. And I was fortunate and, and earned it and have continued to earn, you know, a wonderful wife, a wonderful mother to my daughter uh, and so on, right? So if we understand that women are physically addicted through dopamine, through a variety of other biochemical mechanisms, that women are physically addicted to men clamoring for them, right? It's a heady, heady thing to be in demand, which, you know, dudes, come on. Like for most of us, for like 95, 98% of us, we're not massively in demand, right? I mean, we're just like, I can work it. I can, I can, um, <laughs> I can be charismatic. I can make some money. I, I, but, you know, you're not like in demand, you know, like the, the, there's a male model who looked great and he strolled through New York and all these women were catcalling him and wanted his number and all that kind of stuff, right? So for most men don't really experience what it is to be in demand for two reasons. One is that women have a completely skewed view of male desirability. And secondly, because uh, women generally aren't that forward when it comes to expressing who, who they like. And we know this, right? So they've randomized a whole bunch of female pictures, right, with pictures of women, and they put them in front of men, and they say, okay, rank them for attractiveness, like one to ten, right? And, you know, they're like, I don't know, a thousand women or whatever number it is, right? And so what happens is you get a bell curve out of that, right? Is it a bell curve? No, it's really a flat line. Sorry, it's a flat line. And the flat line is, okay, so 10% of the women are rated as a one, 10% of the women are rated two, all the way up, right? So the women are kind of evenly um, put into these statistical buckets. And men have a very realistic view of female attractiveness. Women, on the other hand, are mental this way as a whole, right? Which is that women think that 80 plus percent of men are below average in attractiveness. <laughs> and they say that women get identified, right? Objectified, right? So women don't. Women are constantly aiming high. They're constantly aiming high. And because they don't have to settle, because they don't have to find where they exist in the pecking order, they can continue to believe that Christian Grey, Brad Pitt, uh, I don't know who, who's Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, who, who's out there, who's a, a Chris Pratt or one. Like they can continue to think that all of these, these perfect guys are out there just around the corner and they don't have to realistically assess their own level of attractiveness. Why? Because they're dangling sex, it's them plus, 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 right? It's them plus, plus, plus. Like I could run a pretty great party, not that I could afford to, but I could run a pretty great party if I said to everyone, hey, here's $10,000 to show up to my party. I'd probably get, you know, a staggering number of people to come to my party, but not because I throw great parties, but because I'm splashing money around, right? So if it's me plus $10,000, like my invitation plus $10,000, I got, I don't have a very good view of how good my parties are because I don't know if people are there. Well, they're there for the money, really. They're not there for the quality of the party, although that number of people might end up with a pretty cool party. So because women come with sexual access that they're acting upon, right, that they're providing men sexual access, they get a hyper-accelerated amount of demand in the marketplace because the fuse for demand is pregnancy, right? The, the demand has to be limited because the possibility of pregnancy. Sexual activity has to be limited because of the possibility of pregnancy. So because they're dangling the V-bomb all over the place, that's probably the wrong <laughs> way of putting it, but because they're dangling sexual access, they get very much souped-up demand that distorts their view of what they could get in the absence of dangling sexuality. 
Because, of course, you're supposed to dangle sexuality as a woman. That's natural, right? But you have to trade it for monogamy, right? That's kind of the way things work. Because without monogamy, you don't get male investment in offspring. And without male investment in offspring, well, we can see this in the black community, without male investment in offspring, well, things go pretty bad for society as a whole. You grow up very R-selected, very um, short deferral of gratification, very low impulse control, and so on, right? So it's really important to understand. So when Roe v. Wade, when, when easy, cheap access to abortion is brought into question, if you understand that women are addicted to male attention and they gain disproportionate amounts of male attention because they can kill the fetus, then you have to understand that I said this in a show the other day, right? So here in Ontario, everything's closed, but liquor stores are still open. And I was like, oh, come on, liquor stores, blah, 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 because I barely drink, right? And people wrote to me and they said, oh, my God, you've you got to keep the liquor stores open because if you're an alcoholic and you can't get your alcohol, like, you could die. I mean, you get the delirium, delirious tremens or something. Like, you get the DTs and the shakes and you can have a heart attack. Like, you can die from lack of alcohol. Now, I'm not sure that the women would die in particular, but... The access to abortion ensures the continual flow of the dopamine of male attention and it allows the vanity of the woman to believe that she could achieve a lot higher male status than she actually can. And, and we all know this about like the very attractive men, like the, the 2%, the 3%, like the super attractive men. Those guys, women will continually uh, sleep with those guys in the hopes of settling them down, of becoming a girlfriend or a wife. And it never works, right? Because the men, of course, are so enamored of this female attention that there's no reason for them to settle down in particular. I mean, it does happen, of course, right? But um, sometimes they settle down and bounce like Jude Law with uh, the babysitter. Um, Sometimes I think they settle down fairly well, like uh, uh, David Beckham or something like that, right? But... If abortion becomes restricted, then men have to evaluate a woman's personality rather than just sexual access, rather than just her physical attractiveness and willingness to have sex with the man. So, like, when I wanted to settle down, I'm like, okay, i got to find the right kind of woman now. Enough of this... uh, you know, fun boy fooling around stuff. I got to get serious, right? So I had to raise my standard. So, of course, all the women I would have dated if I hadn't done that don't get to date me because I'm off the market, right? And I'm a good husband and a good father and all that. So, so you got to look at the presence of abortion is the presence of a highly addictive substance called dopamine. And if you look at the women, and I, I view this with sympathy. I, I really view this with sympathy because they've been lied to so much about their culture by their culture, right? But if you understand that they're addicted to male attention and they can only get that male attention because there's abortion, then you understand that when abortion is thrown into question, you are taking a drug away from an addict or you are threatening to take a drug away from an addict. Now, that is the way 
to understand it. So when I see women chanting, you know, my body, my choice, and and uh, all of that, what I hear is, I can't trust myself to get male attention without offering sexual access. I don't feel worthy of the commitment of a good man because I've been dangling sexual access so long that I haven't developed the relationship skills, the, uh, the maturity skills, the negotiation skills to actually have a productive and adult relationship. I just don't have that. And because I don't have that, I got to keep having access to abortion because, and what are the numbers? Is it like 30% of women have an abortion at some point? Like, it's just crazy. It's crazy how much there is uh, abortion, right? Now, the last thing I'll say, and I want to get to your questions about, about this, but when, like, think, think of a government worker, right? Like a government worker who's, they haven't developed their skills. Like, I, I worked once uh, in a government office when I was in my early 20s as a temp. I was responsible for uh, managing a document for a union contract. And, uh, whew, there sure was a lot of chatting. <laughs> I mean, there really was an extraordinary amount of chatting. There was, well, a lot of lunching and long lunches, a lot of training. What there wasn't, of course, was a whole lot of defined responsibilities, uh, work, accountability, consequences, or anything like that. Now, of course, if you've worked in the public sector for a long time, you're rusty. You're scared of the free market. You're complacent, often kind of lazy, right? Entitled. And so, is higher than 30%, is it? Someone could look that up. Higher than 30% of uh, women getting abortions. Oof. And the health hazards of abortions down the road in terms of health consequences are not inconsiderable, I think. So, <laughs> somebody just wrote, I crave the BBC. Uh, that's not the British Broadcasting Corporation. It's the big Biden... <laughs> so... It's the same way if you as a woman have been dangling sexual access in front of men in order to gain attention and resources and dopamine and money, trips. And, and of course, you have the, the other dopamine as well is that you have a really hot guy and you can take him out with your friends and your friends can all envy you for having the hot guy, right? Because you're dangling sexual access. Now, you can't keep the hot guy because he's there for sex, and once he's got sex, he's going to move on and all of that. Like, you know, men, we want sex, but if we get sex uh, too early, too easily, we simply don't respect the woman and we move on. It's, uh... And because deep down it was like, well, that's great for me, but given that she gives up sex easy, I can never be sure that the future kids will be mine, so thanks for the fun, <laughs> the fun time, fun sexy time, but I'm going to have to move on, right? I guess I started watching, just for really anthropological reasons, uh, the Borat 2 movie. My God, that is a hate-filled movie. I'll do a proper review of it at some point, but oh my God, it's just hate, hate, hate. Hatred for Christians, hatred for conservatives, hatred for um, Americans not in the liberal cities. I mean, it's just, oh man, it's just wretched. Uh, how to 
psychotically make fun of you know, decent, honest people struggling to absorb your insanity and immorality, though it's, of course, faked. It's just an amazing thing. It's a terrifying thing. <laughs> yes, I did notice. I did notice. Yeah. Yeah, Borat, uh, it's absolutely repulsive. I mean, you can see this from the trailer. There are jokes, uh, horrible jokes about abortion. Horrible jokes about abortion. And, uh, of course, you know, the hatred for Trump is, uh, it's psychotic. I mean, it literally is. Uh, it's a psychotic and dissociated. I actually interviewed the guy's cousin, believe it or not, uh, called The Science of Evil. Uh, I did an interview with the guy, Borat's cousin, some, some years ago. So, for women, if you cut off access to easy abortions, then you're saying to them, you can't use sexual access to get male attention anymore. And I just had this conversation with this, the female bodybuilder I had on the show on Friday. Okay, so what value do you bring to the table other than sexual access? What value do you bring to the table other than sexual access? Now, you don't have to answer that question if abortion is free and easy. You don't have to answer that question because you can always bring sexual access because if something goes wrong, you get pregnant, you just kill the baby, right? So you don't have to up your game. You don't have to become more uh, responsible, right? So when you're talking about limiting abortion, you're exposing a giant crater in a woman's personality where you're saying you can't offer sex anymore. You can't offer sex for male attention. You could offer sex for male commitment. Oh, but that's a very different thing. You could offer sex for male commitment. You know, like, we'll, we'll sleep together once we get married or whatever, right? But you, can't, you can no longer offer sex for male attention because in the absence of abortion, men will sit there and say, okay, fun ride is over. The carousel is winding down. So I guess I'll settle down with some woman and, you know, raise some kids, and she's going to have to be a solid, stable, funny, intelligent, good-natured, blah, 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 right? Now, of course, everything we do is something we're not doing, right? Every time I work out, I'm not doing a show. Right now, I'm not working out anything but our minds together in a big, squishy orgy of reason. But And so when a woman is focusing on working out to to look attractive when she's focusing on, what is it, Nicole Kidman, even though she was Australian, she's like never seen the sun. And there's a new, I saw a trailer of uh, Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman, who are, I think, only six years apart. He's like 60 almost, uh, and she's like 54 or something like that. And she still looks like this, this porcelain China doll. And of course, he looks like the scrotal ass end of a weathered moon, right? Because, I mean, he's been out there living and He's lived pretty hard, I think, in many ways. But he's settled down. He's got like five kids now or whatever, right? And he's very happy about it. But although I think he had kids just a little late. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, not really. I don't really care to check. But, you know, I'm sure it'll pop up every now and then. But so you're saying to women, without abortion, men are going to have to raise their standards and you can't get away with the biological short-circuit trick of offering sexual access in return for male attention. You're taking away their superpower. You're taking away their offer of sex for attention, for resources, for status, 
for money, for vacations, for dinners, whatever, right? Now, when you take away, I called this the me plus, right? So, you know, you sit down across from someone, you could be a friend, could be a potential lover, could be whatever, right? And, and what do you have to offer? Well, for some people, it's like, I'm funny. You know, for other people, it's like, I'm successful. I am wealthy. I have status. I can offer people things, you know, whatever it is, right? And I talked about this way back in the day, my Robin Williams presentation, like the me too. Like you have to be you plus something, plus something else. You have to be you plus good looking. You have to be you plus funny. You have to be you plus hot, something, you plus abs, right? And it is success, abs, these are all fine things. And I'm not saying don't have any of these. You know, wander around like Jabba the Hutt saying everybody, uh, yeah, I weigh 350 pounds, but just love me for who I am. Like, that's not, that's not reasonable. You got to put, put out the markers of, of, of discipline and, and, and free will and better choices and, and resolution and all that kind of stuff, right? So, Stefan, you are obsessed with Hollywood. They are the most vapid people around. So let's just run a little little test here. Let's run a little test here. Uh, what do we got here? It is now, I've been speaking for an hour, and I've maybe mentioned two or three actors, maybe four, probably for a grand total of 30 seconds, 45 seconds, out of an hour. So it's about 1% of my speech. Um, somehow this translates to you that I'm obsessed <laughs> So you think that 1% of my speech being super, super important is somehow me being obsessed with the topic, but you inflating it from 1% to something I'm obsessed about. I'm sorry, that means that you're obsessed with the topic, not me. Of course, they're vapid people, but they are cultural touchstones. You, you wouldn't believe the number of people. I mean, do, do you not go to the fucking supermarket? Like, for heaven's sakes, do you not go to the supermarket and see all of these magazines with with... So-and-so is divorcing, so-and-so is here. Mark Consuelo has a big bulge and Kelly Ripper must be very happy. My God, do you not? Like, I'll tell you, I mean, I'll just, I'll just open up a news, standard news app, right? Standard news app. Let's, let's take this on, on the road, right? Let's take this on the road, right? Standard news app. What, what, are, the top, what are the top trending stories, right? Uh, what have we got here? Trending. Uh, the 50 absolute dumbest things people have ever actually posted on the internet. You can and should train yourself to sleep on your back. Skull sporting sunglasses on U.S. man's mental identified as missing person, and someone got fined for a big COVID party. Uh, Disney-themed face masks, um, and uh, it's just nuts. It just goes on and on. I mean, the, 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 you look at look at these ads, uh, or these these uh, places like BuzzFeed, and and there are endless magazines about celebrities. And every time someone dies, there's outpourings of grief. Like this is these are the new gods of people. You understand? This is the polyethan. This is the polytheism of modern celebrity culture. So the idea that you can try and make a philosophical point to a general audience, I'm not speaking to a bunch of PhDs in philosophy here, right? Without cultural references that people can kind of follow and understand, I'm not here for the elites. I'm here for everyone. Right? So yes, if 1% of my speech, I touch upon a couple of celebrities to make a point or two. Um, it's just funny. You know, it's just funny how people will try and stick a label on me because they want to remote control me, right? So somebody, obviously somebody out there wants me to not speak about celebrities for whatever reason. Could be probably because the mom was obsessed with celebrities or something like that or, or you know, whatever, right? Or Justin Bieber stole his girlfriend, I don't know, right? But 
just so everyone knows, right, this is this is the bounce back and forth that goes on in the internet. You got to be aware of this if you're any kind of public figure, right? So people will say, Steph, you're obsessed, right? Or, or somebody earlier was like, you got to name the Jews, right? So and what they're trying to do is they're trying to remote control me so that I say what they won't, right? Or, or they, obviously, people want me to do this or say this or not talk about this or, you know. And it's like, you know, you can just go start your own show, right? If there's something you want to talk about that I'm not addressing in the way that satisfies you, feel free to fuck off and go and start your own show, right? It's perfectly, it's, it's a really, it's a wide open landscape out there. But people, uh, it's kind of like a chicken thing as well. You got to talk about this subject, whatever X subject happens to be. And it's like, well, uh, if it's important to you, then you should start a show and talk about the topic that's important to you. I follow my muse, I follow what's interesting to me at the moment, I follow what I'm reading, that's what I produce, and that's what works uh, for me. But uh, it is really, you know, you know, I wanted there to be a big popular, populist philosophy show out there. So you know what I didn't fucking do? I'll tell you what I didn't do. What I didn't do was go out into the public square and nag everyone into starting the show and talking about the things that I thought were really important. And you know why I didn't do that? Because that's really pathetic and humiliating. And I hope that I never have so little pride in my life that the best I can do is yip around and bark around the, the, the heels of more successful people, hoping that they'll do what I want because I'm too chicken to do it myself. Come on. That's, I, I say this with love. I know it sounds harsh, but I say this with love and with affection to all the people out there. And I know. I see it. I see it. All the people out there, you got to talk about this. If you don't talk about this, you're bad. You got an election of our lives. Where are you? And you got to talk about that. No, no, no. If there's something that you want done in the world, you understand that carrying other people to do it is really, really, really pathetic. It's really, really sad. And can you imagine if, if year after year I just went to other people and, and just kept typing in that I want them to talk about X, Y, or Z. And you've you got a webcam, you've got a keyboard, you've got thoughts. Go do it. <laughs> right? Just go do it. And I say this, again, I say this out of love. Because if I'd spent 10 years trying to get other people to talk about stuff, I can't imagine how terrible I would feel. And how self-righteous I would feel. You know, it's always very easy to tell other people to talk about stuff. It was a very easy thing to do, right? <laughs> but uh, I follow my own conscience and my own guide in these things. And, uh, you know, I'd say it's worked out fairly well uh, over, over 15 years. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't respect. I don't respond. Uh, I will not be cornered or bullied or nagged or anything like that. I mean, come on. Do you, do you understand it would be so dysfunctional to the world for me to allow myself to be nagged into talking about stuff or not talking about stuff or whatever? I mean, that's just sad. That would be to feed cowardly typing with stellar prose. I mean, it's just not, not the way. Yeah, sorry, we'll go back to abortions. I just want to point that out because it's something that kind of happens repetitively and I just, I thought I would sort of address it. But you're right, we'll go back to the abortions, right? So if you say to a woman, no abortions, then you're saying now you have to be a quality person. You have to be a virtuous person. You have to be a reliable person. You have to be a good mother. You have to be mature. You have to... Be wise. You have to bring something to the table other than sexual access. Now, what that does, of course, is it's exquisitely humiliating for women. I mean, a woman's relationship with sexuality, we'll, we'll do a whole other show or series of shows on that because I find there's a really, really fascinating 
topic, right? Women are delighted when men are attracted to them, if the man is high enough status and all of that. But women are also, they enjoy a man's sexual attraction to them, but it's also humiliating to them at the same time. Right? Because, you know, if, if you're some super rich dude and you hire a private jet to fly everyone to Cabo St. Lucas or something like that, you're having a great time. Right? Everyone's the champagne is flowing and, and everyone's having a blast and they're dancing and they, they get out and they, they, they dance all night on the beach and they go snorkeling and, and everybody makes hangover jokes and like you have a blast, right? And you're having on the surface and, and maybe even to a fair way down into your personality, you're having a blast. It's great fun. But it's also really humiliating, right? Because you have to rent the plane and you have to rent the hotel rooms and you have to buy the champagne and you have to pay people. So this is the problem with the addiction. You think it's feeding you, but it's actually eating you, right? So the more you do this with your friends, the more you pay for them, the more humiliating it is for you deep down and the more you're eating away your own self-esteem, your own self-confidence or anything like that. It's the same thing. You gotta, and this is the same thing for women. They love a man who's sexually attracted to them because that gives them the ability to choose and nature's programmed them to love that kind of stuff. But, my God... My God. For women, knowing that they're being that the man is attracted to where they don't exist. <laughs> I said this in the show the other day, but it's worth repeating here. So a vagina, of course, is where the woman isn't. It's a hole, right? <laughs> like your your butt is where you aren't. It's a hole, right? You can you can't stick your finger in your side. <laughs> and so that that complexity is really tough. And the more the woman relies upon sexual access to attract men, the more humiliated, the more ground down, the more self-hating, and the more male-hating she becomes. And if you want to look at, you know, the feminism thing and all of that, this is, the feminism is a shadow cast by easy sexual access. Because there's a hatred of men that comes out. Why? Because both the man and the woman are lying to themselves and each other in a flyby sexual situation, right? Because the man is not likely to sleep with the woman, to get to sleep with the woman, if he honestly says to her, I don't like you, I don't really care about you, but I just want to empty my balls, right? And you'd be a fairly decent container, right? I mean, that's, that's terrible, right? That's a terrible, terrible... So you have to pretend that there's all this kind of fun, goofy, I'll call you future stuff. You have to pretend all of that and the woman participates in the lie. Well, the woman participates in the lie. And then it's called, when you know what it's called, the walk of shame, right? The woman the next morning, it's the walk of shame. And there's a reason why it's called the walk of shame. And so what's happened is so many women have adapted to an environment where they gain male attention and dopamine and happy, joy, joy, brain juice by dangling sexual access in front of men, that what that's done is it's displaced qualities of character that they could otherwise have developed in the absence of that dopamine, in the absence of that male attention. So when you say abortion is going to be limited, you are exposing a deep vein of self-contempt, self-hatred, and hatred of men in women. In the same way that if you went to some big government agency and say, we're privatizing this, people would freak the hell out, right? 
they'd really freak out because they haven't developed the kind of skills and quality and dedication to work and negotiation and training and skill sets and <laughs> that, that would allow them to thrive in a free market environment. So you understand, if you go to a government agency, a government bureaucracy, and you say to everyone, okay, now you can be fired. Now you have to go out and win customers through providing value in the free market. People are going to just completely panic and freak out. Like the pre-existing conditions situation in America, which is partly the result of government problems and government control of healthcare, but it also is, you know, what choice do people have, right? They, they're old, they're fat, they're diabetic, their joints hurt, they're in wheelchairs, they need whatever, insulin, dialysis, who knows, right? They, they, can't, they can't make objective decisions about healthcare. Of course not, right? It's like asking a crack addict to make objective decisions about U.S. foreign policy. Oh, wait, no, that. Oh, well, that's a topic for another time, perhaps. So when you go to government workers and say you have to bring real skills to the table, they freak out because they don't have them. And if you limit abortion, you're saying to women, you have to bring more than sexual access to the table. You have to bring more to the table than your ass on the table, right? And that is deeply painful. It's heartbreaking. It's deep. Like anger a lot of times is sort of, it's the bounce back of pain, right? Well, the, certainly the bounce back of fear, right? The fight or flight mechanism. Fear and anger are very, very closely related, right? Because if you're running from the bear and you can't get away, you got to turn and fight, which means you've got to flip from fear to anger like that, right? And the fear that women have, who's going to love me? Who's going to pay attention to me if they can't have sex with me? I'm, I'm begging you guys for a little sympathy for women. Because again, they've been culturally programmed badly and, and it's a huge amount of power to have sexual market value power to have at a very young age, which men generally don't have. So I'm, I'm begging like on my knees for a little sympathy for women here. Because a woman has to look in the mirror and she has to say, what value do I have to bring to a man if I can't offer sex? That is, oof, that is so painful and so humiliating and so brutal for women that it's just a whole lot easier to put on a weird hat and scream my body, my choice than it is to face that existential dread and angst of who am I without sexual access? Who am I without the value of the vagina? It's a really foundational question. And I think it's really important to encourage virtue in men and women. But in this case, if you encourage virtue in women, then they say, okay, I mean... I don't, I don't want to live in a society where women's value is defined by sexual access. I don't want to live in that society. That sucks. It's terrible for women. It's humiliating to women. It's degrading for women. It's horrible for women. It destroys women, that kind of society. So I just sort of want to point out, I wanted to point out, and I'll take your thoughts or questions here, that you got to look deep down at the heart of what's going on in society. And it's not like, we love killing babies. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not satanic in, in that way. 
It arises out of a deep and terrifying insecurity. What value? Because you can't be loved for sexual access. You can't. You just can't be loved because you provide sexual access. Because lots of people can, and love is a little bit more individual. And, of course, if you're loved for sexual access, then you'll be loved less after you have kids. When, you know, your sex life diminishes to some degree, you'll be loved less after the honeymoon when your sex life diminishes to some degree. And so if you are loved for sexual access, then you won't be loved when your vagina is being repaired or or is repairing itself from the episiotomy at birth. You're not going to be loved when you're breastfeeding and tired and exhausted and sick and older, and you're not going to be loved when you may be going through menopause and your sex drive is diminishing and all of that. No, no, you're loved for your virtues. See, your virtues increase as you age. It's the one thing uh, that, uh, that can grow significantly as you, as you age. Wisdom, virtue, courage, all of those kinds of good things. All of those things will grow as you age if you apply yourself. Your strength will diminish. I've been doing the same workout forever, and I had just had to recently reduce it by, say, 5 or 10% because I'm getting older, mid-50s. Just can't quite keep it up, right? Uh, sorry, can't quite keep the pace of weights up. Let's <laughs> be clear about that. And one day hair loss may strike me. It's hard to say in the eyebrows. But, and yeah, I mean, most women, most men and women who are married you know, over the age of 60, yeah, they still have a fairly robust sex life and so on. But nonetheless, it, it is going to diminish as you as you get older, right? For sure. And so that's the big question, right? And it's because society is not really listening to women. Like, society is coming up with these answers like, oh, women are just evil and want to kill babies and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, that's... The, the, the depth of the grief, the depth of the despair, the depth of the humiliation is so profound that if you've got to throw babies in a bucket to avoid it, that seems like a good deal. And again, you've got all this culture that's out there reinforcing terrible decisions that women make. And we as men do not have the power that women have when they're young. We just don't. And so we can sit there and say, well, you know, they should have dealt with that power better, blah, blah, blah. Come on. Come on. If you had that power when you were that age, (laughs) you would have misused it too. So would I. So have some sympathy, have some understanding, and recognize that what's on display when people march is a huge amount of pain. It's a huge amount of pain. Why, you know, the Black Lives Matter marches and so on, there's a huge amount of pain in the black community. There's all the fatherlessness. There's half of black girls report being raped by black men before they turn 18. There's a huge amount of child abuse and pedophilia and and father absence and and family members going to prison. And and so you've got all of that trauma and pain in the black community. And then you've got a bunch of people who are saying, oh, it's that white cop's fault. Channeling it all the way from where it could actually solve problems. It's a great temptation for people. It's a great temptation from people, and I really sympathize. Somebody says, you have a point, Steph, yet the act of abortion itself is every bit as horrendous as slavery was. People used to sadly justify slavery, too. Okay, so I'm going to take that on face value, totally going to take that on face value. We could sort of go back and forth on slavery versus abortion and the immorality, and they're both on the immoral side of things, but here's the thing. 
my therapist once said to me, you like, I was, oh, I'll deal with this on my own. She said, no, the problems created by solitude cannot be solved by solitude. Right? So, and this, I, I, I really, really go 50-50 on this. So I'm, I'm, I'm right poised. I'm, I'm half and half. So I'm not saying I'm going to go either way, but I'm just telling you I've got like one foot on both sides of the uh, seesaw on this situation. So hopefully this will make sense. But problems that are caused by humiliation cannot be solved by humiliating. So if you understand what I'm saying, that a woman is profoundly humiliated by having to offer sexual access in return for male attention because the man is interested in using her for what she's not, which is vagina, what she is is a personality, right? So if a woman's thirst for access to abortions is driven by humiliation, that she's not developed enough interpersonal skills to be of value without sexual access, and you understand, I'm not saying it's, a, it's, a, it's not an either-or. It's not like you can only value a woman if you don't have sexuality. I'm not saying that at all. Sexuality is like the icing on the cake. You know, if there's no icing, if there's no cake, the icing just collapses, right? If there's no cake, uh, if there's no icing, the cake doesn't taste quite as good. So, you know, the relationship, the personality and sex, the icing on top, it's great, right? But if it's just the sex, then you're using other people, right? So if the woman... If you understand that the woman is profoundly humiliated by having to offer up sexual access in return for male attention, and she's not gaining male attention because of any personal qualities of her, but because the man is somewhat enslaved by his own hormones, just as she's somewhat enslaved by her addiction to male attention. So if the women are acting the way they're acting because they're profoundly humiliated by having to constantly offer sexual access to gain male attention. If the women are profoundly humiliated, then saying to them, you're as evil as slave owners, and further attempting to humiliate them is not going to solve the problem. Issues that arise from solitude cannot be solved in solitude. Issues that arise out of humiliation cannot be solved by humiliating people. Now, you can say, well, we'll just bypass all of that. They'll, you know, Roe v. Wade will be overturned, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And that's, that's, that's a political matter, and I'm not really doing politics, uh, so that's one option. But even if you try that, and even if you succeed at that, you still have a huge amount of emotional blowback to occur, right? And you've got to start asking uh, women, you know, what value do you bring other than sexual access? And to some degree, it's true for men as well, right? What value do you bring other than uh, money, right? So it's a sugar daddy thing, right? The women bring youth and, and beauty, and the men bring creep and resources, right? It's like, okay, well, what, uh, what value do the men bring other than money, right? All right, any uh, centrist death? No, I, I listen, I, I'm Old Testament and New Testament, right? I was raised a good old Protestant boy, and I'm Old Testament and New Testament. So I am an eye for an eye, and I am turned the other cheek. So I, I go back and forth. All right, did you guys have any other questions or comments? I know I've taken a fair amount of your evening. Well, I haven't taken it. We've, we've shared it together. <laughs> we shared it together. So um, if you have any questions or comments, uh, please throw them into the chat here. And uh, sorry, I didn't get to a bunch of them. I apologize for that. Can you solve the issue with lengthy prison sentences? <laughs> well, 
I don't know. I mean, it's, it's the question that comes back to, so a woman, what is a woman? You got to think of a woman's life. So she's raised with all of this insane female empowerment stuff, right? That just goes on, uh, on and on. Women empowered, female empowerment. Women are superheroes. Women can drop kick guys twice their weight and win in fights. And, you know, women are masters of everything and perfect at everything and beautiful and precious and blah, blah, blah. Like it's the, women are wonderful. It's an actual psychological phenomenon. So women are raised with truly deranged and unpleasant people bellowing at them like, setting up the fires of Hephaestus in an ancient Greek myth, right? They are really just trying to flame up the fires of vanity and narcissism that consume a culture. Because if you can make women constantly aim too high, you kill the birth rate and you destroy the culture, right? So inflaming women's vanity is a form of generational destruction because they aim too high, they miss, they become childless, and the birth rate plummets, right? And... So a woman is pumped up with all of this vanity. I remember, I remember taking my daughter to some fair, some park, some fair, and there was this guy who comes up to her and puts a little bracelet on her. It's like girl power, and I'm like, you take that offer. Please take that offer. He's like, why? Don't you want her to be empowered? I'm like, no, because you're saying that she's not empowered already. I don't want you saying that. Please, like, step back from the child, brother. Step back from the child, because. My daughter would, like, what do you mean? Why would I need to be empowered? Like, I can negotiate. I have my authority. I, you know, I, I earn my money. I have my savings. I, why would I need to be empowered? If someone comes along to you and says, oh, you've got to be listened to. You need to be empowered. And you've got, they're saying to you that you're helpless and frail already. Like, in order to save someone, you've got to damn them first. So a woman gets full of all this vanity and then, Men go crazy over her. Boys go crazy over her. And she's got all these people asking her for stuff. She's got all these politicians deferring to her. And in every single commercial, the woman is a genius and the man is an idiot. And in modern family, the boy is an idiot and the girl is a genius, even though the girl in real life is pretty tragic life. Uh, and and the, the boy is actually a genius in real life. And uh, every leader of the spaceship is female. And all of the doctors are female. And all of the great scientists she sees on TV are female. And just female, female, empower, empower, beauty beauty great great and nobody tells the truth and nobody shows her the women over the close encounters to distant encounters hump of 40 those women don't exist they vanish from the culture the women who traded in fertility for attention and ended up with neither children nor attention who now have another 40 to 45 years on this planet with people not giving much of a crap about them, which is really absolute ungodly torture for women. Men can handle solitude and rejection better. We kind of have to toughen ourselves up for that kind of stuff, right? But yeah, you really got to understand that um, women are fantastically lied to in this culture. Well, it's really an anti-culture. Uh, it's a, a destruction of, of culture. Women are fantastically lied to. And they're given inordinate amounts of power. Plus, of course, when they're young, just by hormones and, and being praised by everyone. And the negative consequences of that power, like you get addicted to male attention, you can't settle down. Like people talk about men's porn addiction, and that's a really, really important topic. I've done whole shows on that. It's a really, really important topic. 
It will kill your boner. It will make you impotent. And so talking about men's porn addiction, yeah, that's important. But it's equally important, but we won't, as a society, talk about women's addiction to male attention, which is incredibly harmful. Repeal the 19th? Oh, I'm an anarchist. I don't believe in the government at all. Uh, it's not a moral entity. You know, what you could say, I don't believe in repeal the 19th. There are too many brilliant women out there, of course, right? But um, uh, no, I think that a transition would be to limit voting to people who were net taxpayers. I mean, that would be something. If you're dependent on welfare, you can't, you have a conflict of interest. You can't vote objectively about the welfare state if you feel that you're dependent on it, right? And then, of course, um, what happens is um, women have these artificial aging reductions, right? You can get your Botox, you can get your facelifts, you can get all this kind of freaky stuff and hair dye and this, that, and the other. And so women can kind of milk this extended adolescence of male attention. Like you understand the male attention phase of a woman is only supposed to last for a year or two. Like that's it. Maybe not even that. Maybe six months to a year. A woman reaches adulthood and usually within a year or two, she's settled down, married, and having kids. So this youthful bloom of sexual vitality, this absolute peak of attractiveness of the, of the human female, yeah, late teens to early 20, a year or two, maybe, max, that's it. But you got women stretching this shit out for 20 or 30 years and ending up with nothing, ending up with nothing. And you can't show how destructive it is to end up with nothing. You can't show the lonely aunt weeping into a pillow because her sister, who always tried to convince her to get married, got married and has kids and has a loving husband and a great future, and, and she's alone. She goes back to a lonely apartment with watching friends for the third time round and drinking too much wine. I mean, it's really sad. It's really, really, really sad. A Polish EU rep uh, spelled it out in the EU parliament, and trust me, women didn't like it. Oh, no, he got fined for that. Yeah, I talked, I've talked to that guy a couple of times. I talked to him in my Polish documentary. I had, did an interview with him. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He's an interesting guy. And um, single women should not be able to vote. Eh, yeah. No, you're just, you're just making a category error, right? I mean, if you single out women, it just it does kind of look misogynistic a little bit. I'm sorry, I know that's not an argument, but no. No, uh, you, you shouldn't be able to vote if you're a net receiver. Oh, and then what happens, of course, is that if a woman divorces a man, she's told that she's going to have this wonderful life post-divorce and, and all of this, and she gets to, you know, divorce pillage the man like a Viking for half his stuff, right? I mean, what is it? A couple of the richest women in the world are all got rich through marrying successful men and divorcing them? Ah, let's go back to celebrities. you got Phil Collins trying to get a woman he married, divorced, and remarried out of his house in America, she won't leave, and she's demanding like massive amounts of money, millions and millions and millions of dollars, just to leave the house, even though apparently he has title to it, and there's some big god-awful lawsuit going on about it. I wonder why doesn't anybody get together anymore? So, yeah, it's Corvin uh, Mickey. Yeah, Corvin Mickey. Janos Corvin Mickey as well. Yeah, if you're dependent on the state, you can't be objective about policy. You know, so this was the deal back in the day, right? Which is that the majority of an American president's job is foreign policy, right? Which, whatever you think of Trump, he is spectacularly good at foreign policy. No new wars. And everybody who helped Trump get elected, if you're out there, take a bow, man. You saved hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of lives. 
because he's the first American president to not start a war in like ever, <laughs> in ever. So that's amazing. You know, he's working really hard on peace in the Middle East. He got out of the disastrous Paris Climate Accord. He's pushing back against the UN. He negotiated for better settlements with the NATO allies, so they're paying more. And uh, so he's done amazing stuff on foreign policy, which is most of his job. So the point being that men got the vote and the price they paid for the vote was being subject to the draft. Well, that was that was the deal, right? You, you, you get to vote, but you're subject to the draft, which means you're going to stay pretty bloody interested in politics. Because if politics go wrong and there's a war, you're going to get your ass drafted and you're going to be shot full of cannon uh, a cannon shrapnel in a place with no antibiotics and very little in the realm of painkilling, right? So that was the deal, right? And so I don't know what the deal was with women. Um, I think it was, was it Wyoming? That uh, they were so thirsty for women, they just offered them the right to vote and so on. And I think the deal was, okay, ladies, you can have the right to vote, but can you get up to speed on politics and learn a little bit about economics? Nope. <laughs> no, thank you. Just the vote, please. And then they, you know, vote for free stuff, right? And they vote for restricting alcohol, right? And they vote for censorship, right? Because they don't have men around, so a lot of them, right? So, so all right. Let's uh, just see if there's anything else. Yeah, corporate welfare queens should not be allowed to vote. Well, corporations is uh, a huge huge issue uh, in society as a whole as a whole and uh yeah if you're massively overweight and you're consuming human huge huge amount of um quote free healthcare, should you uh, can you vote objectively on on health i mean look at these government workers i mean you look at these i mean there's uh there's the teachers and and uh, i mean just about everybody every i think just about every female in the government office that i worked in many years ago was significantly overweight Go to your average HR department and all that. So, all right. Uh, last question, last comment before we close off of the evening. Um, it was nice to nice to, get to drop by and chat with you guys. It's been a while. I will try and set up something more regular so that you can set your alarms for uh, the chat of philosophy that we engage in here. Please, if you could, just as a tiny, teeny reminder, I will put the link down below: freedomain.com forward slash donate. If you could, please, to please help out the show. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of brutal these days. I got to tell you, <laughs> it's been a whole lot of deplatforming, and it ha had had some effect, as you can well imagine. So, if you could help out the show, I would really, really appreciate that. Freedomain.com forward slash donate, and uh, thank you, everyone, of course, so enormously for what they tried to arrest Doug Ford. <laughs> really, I did not see the attempts to arrest Doug Ford. Wait, wait, hang on. Is this the? Uh, there used to be people who came by. And we're like, Joe Rogan died. Did you hear Joe Rogan died? Uh, and it was just an attempt to get me to um, to promulgate fake news. So let's see here. Uh, no, I don't see it. No, I don't see it. I don't see it. No, I don't think so. Oh, someone attempted a citizen arrest? Hmm. I wonder why that couldn't happen with Hunter. Anyway, all right. Thanks, everyone, uh, so much for your time and attention. Thank you for, you know, 15 glorious years of philosophy uh, together. And have yourself a great, great evening. I love you guys so much. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Don't forget to pick up my free book. It's fantastic. I'm telling you. I got to tell you. Sorry, just as I close off here. I'm reading a book I wrote like 20 years ago. 
about the rise of Nazism and uh, a British family and a German family from World War I to World War II, the stuff that I write about the causes and rise of political violence, there's <laughs> probably a reason why I had to wait for 20 years to, uh, to read it. Uh, and uh, it's free. I really, really strongly urge you to get into it. It's uh, fdrurl.com forward slash almost. That's fdrurl, free domain radio URL, fdrurl.com forward slash almost to get the free book. And you can, of course, get my comic novel set in the software industry, uh, which is uh, at um, fdrurl.com forward slash TGOA, the God of Atheists, TGOA. So that's it. That's it. I'm out. Have yourself a great evening. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much. I will talk to you soon. Bye.